This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Last week I watched events unfold as two young men took the lives of several people in Boston during a marathon. It was very tragic and my heart goes out to everyone involved in that explosion. And my support goes to everyone who's helping during the aftermath. It was not so long ago that the same thing happened on a much larger scale at the World Trade Center. The world that we live in is infected by false religion. And that is costing lives. This should be very sobering to each and every one of us and make us all want to examine our own lives to make sure that they're filled with the Spirit of Christ and not of some other spirit. Islam is a quickly spreading religion and historically it has been one of the longest lasting. And most followers of the cult of William Branham have never studied Islam. But they would be astounded if they were to compare their own lives to that of the men, women, and children that are bound by that religion. And there's a lot of truth to the things, some of the things, that Muhammad brought to the people. Arguably, he was more of a prophet than William Branham, because many of his prophecies seem to have came to pass as he gave them, while in Branham's case they do not. There are at least 160 known and confirmed prophecies in Islam. And like the Branham cult, these people will defend these prophecies to the death. But there's just one problem. While some truth is given, you have to filter through the faults to get to it. It is said that before Muhammad, the Arabs had 365 gods, one for every day of the year. And Muhammad picked Allah, which was the Arab moon god. Scriptural stories that are common to us are also common to Islam. But there are historical discrepancies. Even though the Quran was written approximately 500 years after the Bible, whoever wrote it did not get their history accurate 
very similar to what we see in William Branham's ministry. The Surah 7 describes Moses as being alive during the days of the flood. Very similar to William Branham describing Enoch being alive during the days of the flood. Neither one matched the Bible. The Surah 20 describes the children of Israel molding the golden calf at the direction of the Samaritans, but historically the Samaritans did not yet even exist. If you read the Quran, you will find many truths that you hold dear already. You'll find many ways of life that match Christianity and morals that should be the founding basis for good people. Many who believe the Quran are very good, friendly people. My neighbors, they're some of the most wonderful neighbors that any person can ask for. And they actually live their lives more according to the Bible than we read of many in the cult of William Branham today. Unselfish, friendly, caring people, even to those who do not believe their own religion, these people show kindness to. Often I've wondered if an outsider were to come into Jeffersonville, and if they were to watch this little condemning group of people that are telling them that they're going to go to hell for cutting their hair, or if they're a man, they need to divorce their wife because thus saith the Lord, she cut her hair. And then they were to turn and watch this little group of Muslims who were showing kindness and respect. What would happen? Obviously, the Muslims would seem to be more filled with God than this insulting cult. The problem is, the problem is these false doctrines that are woven into the truth are very, very damaging spiritually. Extremists and radical groups emerge, threatening the lives of thousands. And any time that there are lies mixed with the truth, the truth itself becomes damaging. I'm going to give you an illustration that, frankly, it's very shocking. Most of the people still bound by this cult of William Branham will probably never make it through the entire story. And hate mail is probably going to start pouring in with the word blasphemy. But those who are founded in the scriptures instead of the tapes, they're going to say, oh yeah, that reminds me of that chapter that I read in the Bible. Let's imagine... Let's pretend that on that dreadful trip, leaving from visiting Gene and Leo at the park, when William Branham's life was taken, let's pretend that things played out differently. Let's pretend that even one of William Branham's prophecies did come from God. And let's pretend that it happened exactly like God said in the beginning. Let's pretend that men like Branham and Gene and Leo and Lee Vale were not instructed to bring those prophecies up to date <laughs> to match history because not one of them happened. And let's imagine during that trip that things played out differently. Let's pretend that William Branham's wife suddenly put her foot down and she looked over him and said, Bill, you tell more lies than any single man that I know. 
You've not told one single life story that's truthful. And yet you keep saying, Thus saith the Lord about these things that you're reading in magazines as though God himself gave them to you. Let's pretend that she became so furious that she grabbed the handy National Enquirer magazine and threw it in the floor. That same magazine that he got all the crazy statistics and half the prophecies, she took it and she threw it on the floor in front of him and said, there is going to be blood on your hands if you do not obey the Lord. Let's pretend that William Branham's wife looked at him and said, Bill, you are bringing the wrath of God upon us. And I put my foot down. You will not continue this way or I will leave you. Shocking, isn't it? You see, most cults teach that the spiritual leader is the closest thing to the Almighty God. They take him and they set him up on a pedestal as an object of worship. They teach you fear in speaking against the leader. And if you question it, it's certain death. I can't tell you how many people have told me that I will die because I even questioned this false prophet. But this is not what the Bible says. Let's take the strangest passage of Scripture in the Old Testament and let's compare it to our illustration of William Branham getting a tongue lashing by his frustrated wife. This example comes from Exodus 4. Exodus 4 says this, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back into the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Now remember, this is immediately after Moses telling God that he was not able to lead the people out of Egypt. And you can sense a hint of reluctance here. Let's continue. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all of the miracles that I have put in your power. But... I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. The children of Israel are compared to God's firstborn all through the Bible the apple of the Lord's eye. God is telling Pharaoh that if he does not release God's pride and joy, God was going to take his pride and joy. But also notice, he's also asking Pharaoh to let them leave, while at the same time God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he does not let them go. And there's a reason for this. If you study the scriptures instead of listen to the tapes, you'll find out 
the reason behind God doing this. Here's the interesting part. And I'm quoting from Scripture. The very next verse says this, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. This is Moses. God is going to kill him. And he is their spiritual leader. Branham said, <laughs> and it cracks me up, Branham said that God only sent one prophet for each age. Although that if you were to crack open that leather that's sitting there never opened and read, it's not true. God actually sent more than one prophet per <laughs> age. But William Branham taught this. And next comes the funny part. It actually breaks over half of the message cult theology. And I'm reading from Scripture. It says, Then Zipporah took a flint, and she cut off her son's foreskin, and she touched Moses with it, and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, God, left him alone. Here we have Zipporah, the wife of Moses, getting so angry with Moses for not obeying God that she cuts off the foreskin of her son's genitals and she slaps Moses with it. It's a paradox. In Egyptian culture, the royalty were circumcised. Abraham had visited Egypt, but it's unknown whether or not the children of Israel were circumcised at that point in history, especially since they were slaves and not royalty. But God wanted the son of Moses to be circumcised, just as Moses was, so that they would be presented before Pharaoh as the royal seed of Abraham. They were God's children. They were the real God's children. Pharaoh only thought that his bloodline were not only children of the gods, but they believed that they were the gods. But remember, Pharaoh worshipped the same God that William Branham worshipped. The Eye of Ra, the capstone of the pyramid. But God is telling Moses to show Pharaoh that his children are his people. And they are royalty, yet Moses refused to cut his son's foreskin. And Zipporah took it and slapped Moses on the foot with the foreskin and said that he was bringing the wrath of God upon them. Next she says this, It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. Now let me ask you this, if, if Zipporah, had not just saved the life of Moses by forcing him to obey God, do you really think that God would have just walked away and forgot about the children of Israel? Because, oh, he was the prophet of that age, I can't sin too. No, absolutely not. If God had have killed Moses, then God would have chosen another. And if that one did not obey God, he would have replaced him with another, and another, and another. You see, the mortal man is not the leader. Although cults will tell you that, he's just a mortal man. William Branham 
is not an idol to be worshipped. When William Branham lies, you call him a liar. And when he invents Bible verses, you call him a blasphemer. And when he says the Lord has spoken, when the Lord has not, you call him a false prophet. Watch what happens next. The Lord, <laughs> let me reread this. The Lord said unto Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went, and he met him at the mountain of God, and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all of the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak, and all of the signs that he had commanded him to do. Now wait a minute. <laughs> we have God speaking to Aaron. Houston, we have a problem. Branham told us that God only spoke to the prophet of the age. This is the prophet's brother. <laughs> Let's continue. Then Moses and Aaron went together, all of the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron, and I'm repeating again, Aaron, not Moses, Aaron spoke all of the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Now, wait a minute. Did I just read that correctly? Aaron did the signs in front of the people. I thought Moses was the only one with the power. I thought Moses was supposed to be the great sorcerer and nobody could speak against him. Friends, there is a vast difference between a sorcerer and a false prophet. A sorcerer is the one that teaches you not to fear him. And the sorcerer is the one that teaches you to fear death for questioning. A prophet is the one who humbles himself and puts himself out of the way. He does not care if he's the only one with the word of the Lord. In fact, a true prophet of God wishes that there were 10,000 more prophets of God so that the word can reach more people. They do not want to set up funnels and make themselves the one that's overseeing the people. Want to know what happened after Aaron, not Moses, but Aaron, did the signs in front of the people? The scripture next says this. After Aaron did the signs, and after Moses almost got killed, the Bible says, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. As Christians, you should ask yourselves, have you been following a false religion that is so tainted by lies that it is breeding extremists? When you take a step back and you look at the communes in Prescott, Arizona, with all the sexual abuse, and you look down in South America, the preachers who think that they're the next thing to God. You take the false evangelists rising up in America who think that they have the anointing of Branham. Or the ones that claim that they have Branham's angel. Are these really the fruits of the Spirit of Christ? Or is this the fruit that you're seeing, the fruit of demons? Part of me really wishes that William Branham's wife 
would have thrown out all of his National Enquirer magazines and instead snuck in and replaced them with Bibles. If he was feasting on the Word of God, there would be no need for all of these apologetics that are springing up around the world. There would be no need for the many of support groups that we see privately helping those that were physically abused or those that were spiritually abused or those that were sexually abused. William Branham could have had a very powerful ministry. He could have been a very influential man. If he were filled with Christ instead of whatever it was, he could have been a great influence to the nation, but he would have had to read the book. So I'll leave you with this question. Why did he not read the book? Uh -huh.